podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the Marketers Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Celtic State of Mind, it's Friday, we finally have a brand new manager who has taken a training session, he'll be speaking live from Celtic Park at one o'clock, um, I know a lot of you will be going to watch that, but if if you're able to, please stick with us, we've got plenty to discuss today, um, I'm joined as always on this Friday by Tony Haggerty, how you doing Tony? I'm very well, Laura, yourself? Not too bad, it's been a, it's been a long week this week, but uh, excited to get back on and talk about Celtic, Jim, how you doing? Good Laura, thanks. Yeah. And uh, before we get into everything about the new manager and the comments of some ex-managers, as we've seen this week, um, we'll discuss first of all the hashtag guess the sell that we've been doing every Friday for the last few weeks. This week was obviously um, former French Celt Stefan Mahé played for Auxerre, PSG, Rennes, Celtic and then had a brief two-year stint in Edinburgh with Hearts before he retired. Um, Tony, I'll come to you first on, on, on Stefan Mahé. I think um, I think from the comments I was getting back and, and from my own memories of him, he, he definitely was a kind of, a bit of a wild card, a bit of a, you know... He wore his heart on his sleeve, to say the least, and I think that made Celtic fans love him. Um, what, what are your memories of him? Uh, he was very much a wholehearted player. Three things spring to mind with my, <sighs> my own mind. The the game he got sent off against Rangers mm-hmm. when they won the title at Celtic Park, 3 nothing. I watched that incident again this morning. <laughs> couldn't, couldn't believe it at the time. And many years on, I still can't believe that he got sent off. And he was just so upset that he got sent off and... I think it was a number of 
I'm going to go all Lawrence Connolly here, but it seems to be a number of calls that day. That <laughs> Hugh Dallas Bunko got wrong, Jim Glass. <laughs> yeah, and the other one is uh, I'll go Lawrence Connolly again and say Jim McCluskey Stilton, the Kinchelskis tackle at Ibrox. You know, there was a, I think there was a great quote from Ivan Golatz one day who said, uh, was asked about a penalty incident and he was a manager at Dundee United and Ivan Golitz seemingly said, all over the world, it's a penalty kick, not at Ibrooks. Which I was kind of funny, you know, and uh, the, the Kanchelskis one on Mahi falls into that category. All over the world, it's a penalty kick, but not at Ibrooks. And I think Jim McCluskey mm-hmm. seemingly said to Pat Woods, who writes Celtic books, that he called it very wrong in that incident, so uh, years later. And the other Mahi incident springs to mind is See the cross ball for Chris Sutton's last goal in a 6-2 demolition derby? Mm-hmm. Utterly majestic. You know what I'm like with moments in time? And it's a long time since I've seen a Celtic fullback in the 90th minute, charge down the pitch, get on, a kind of, and then put in a slide rail cross, which for a, for a centre forward is just meat and dink. Mm-hmm. You know, a long, long time since I've seen somebody do that. And Mahi was quite good at that. Tosh McKinley, previous to him, was very good at crossing the ball in for centre forwards to score, you know, and mm-hmm. it's something that you miss. And if Postacoglu is the kind of manager that uh, encourages that, then I hope that uh, our defenders can kind of work on that. Because the Frimpong was great at getting forward. His delivery was shocking, mm. you know, so mm-hmm. I, I, I would like. But if you study that game and you look at that goal, Mahi's cross in the last minute, it's just, it's wonderful. And certain does you. He's filling the deep and, and walks away, but it's it's the cross that makes it because it takes out the whole Rangers defence. Mm. So that's my memories of Stefan Madman Mahi. Uh, you know, well, exactly, yeah, <laughs> Stefan Mahi, the Madman. But um, Jim, Tony brings up a good point. I mean, everybody focuses on Mahi's emotional side and and he's kind of the way he wore his heart in his sleeve and was kind of a bit unpredictable in that sense. But he was a fantastic footballer as well, was he not? Aye, this is the first time I've followed Tony without having to start greeting. So, uh, uh, Mahi, <laughs> my memories of Mahi, uh, having written the play Ben like Bratback, I'd extensively researched 97, 98, which is when mm-hmm. Mahi signed at the start of the season. He was one of Wim's first four signings at the end of July. Again, you know, we're signing players really late, and there was that kind of famous photograph at the start of that season. You've got the four of them. You've got Henrik, you've got Darren Jackson, you've got Craig Bull, you've got Mahi. Mm-hmm. Uh, to win leagues, uh, you need everyone doing their job. And it's not all about the kind of big names like kind of Henrik and, and Burley and, of course, Harold. You need guys like Mahi in your team. You need guys like Aroni mm-hmm. in your team who are just as important. And in fact, at the start of that season, it was Tosh McKinley who was, who was left back. Uh, we lose the first two league games of the season. Uh, the second game was Dunfermline. And Tosh had a nightmare that game. And then Mahi mm-hmm. came in and Mahi never looked back uh, after that game. I liked him. He was hardworking. He gave 100% every match, aggressive, picked up a few yellow cards. Uh, more of a wing-back, I think. Uh, he got injured, I think it was six or seven games to go, and didn't play for the rest of the season. And when he comes in, and he helps us go over the ten, uh, over the line to do the 10. Uh, Tony mentioned the, the red card, which he's most famous for, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, sent off by a referee who likes to send inappropriate emails, but that's another story for... <laughs> we'll, let, we'll, we'll let Lawrence tell that story uh, as far as Stephen Mahi goes one of the 10 stoppers definitely one of the good guys 
And I'm not greeting after Tony, so this is good. Good start. <laughs> no, we're, uh, we're, we've been we've been nicknamed. I think the Friday, uh, what was it, the Friday therapy session or something like that. Somebody was saying because we're always bringing out the emotion mm. in Celtic events, and there's plenty to be emotional mm. about this season anyway. Um, mm. But yeah, my my memories of my hair are exactly the same. It, it was kind of a strange one because he, he came in at a time that was the kind of transition period between the the Tommy Burns team of like the 96-97 season helped to see out the 10 under Vim Janssen and then was still around like you say um, Tony at the start of the Martin O'Neill season so I, I see him as kind of one of those players that you, you owe a great debt to uh, transferring from one phase of the club to another through a time period that could have been quite quite an unstable period not unlike the, the phase we're in right now so players players like him are certainly something that you could hopefully um rely on and if we had somebody of his ilk in the team it certainly wouldn't go amiss today um, mm. talking about the um, the the phase that we're in and the phase that we have just left um, anybody, I saw a couple of people in the comments saying they don't want to discuss Neil Lennon today, unfortunately on a Friday we have the, some, some would say the misfortune, we've been fortunate enough to be live when there's been breaking news but sometimes we have the misfortune of going over um, things that have happened previously in the week but I felt like we couldn't uh, let today go without discussing uh, Neil Lennon's comments on, on, on Lee Griffiths. If you if you didn't see it, he, he did an interview. I forget what the platform was it was on, but he did an interview where he was asked directly about the, the situation with Lee Griffiths and um, instead of doing what most people would do and kind of not going into too much detail and saving himself and, and, and Lee Griffiths a bit of dignity, he decided to dig the guy out live on air, for want of a better phrase, Um there was plenty in it that was uh, to be discussed and uh, some of which you might agree with, some of which you might not. But Jim, I'll come to you first. Uh, did you see Neil Lennon's comments and uh, wh- what did you make of them? Totally out of order. Yeah, totally out of order. Uh, to use a well-known phrase, I think Neil Lennon likes to blame everyone, anyone, by himself. Mm. But himself. You know, it's uh, it wasn't his fault. Uh, he obviously doesn't sign a no disclosure agreement. So he's coming up with a lot of stuff. And I don't actually mind him if he's going to flag up things like inconsistencies with COVID. Uh, any other kind of factual stuff that can happen at the club. Uh, and maybe why the club are so silent on these issues. But uh, unacceptable. Totally, utterly unacceptable to talk about players like he did. Uh, he totally mismanaged Lee Griffiths. I know I'm a Lee Griffiths fanboy, but he totally mismanaged Lee Griffiths. Uh, there'll be lots of people tuning in who have managed people and for me you've got two types of people that you manage you've got those who I would call uh, self-managers they can imagine they're kind of good guys always get there in time never off sick punctual do a good job so you don't really have to manage those staff and if you look at the current Celtic squad guys like Callum McGregor spring to me I don't think you have to manage him I think he'll do what he's meant to do and that's it and then you get other guys who you do need to manage. You know, they're in late, they're skiving, they don't do a good job, etc. And they take up a lot of your time. And they're exhausting. And Neil Lennon made a comment. He said, dead, dead flippant, dead flippant about a guy who was paid for three months, uh, you know, uh, during the lockdown and didn't do his job. What did Neil Lennon do over that three months? Did he monitor any of his players, their fitness? If he didn't, he's to blame. He's much to blame. And we've heard all these stories about since the last manager left, uh, all these bits and pieces behind the scenes. 
I'm not getting done the way they've done before in terms of sports science and diet and all that stuff. And we don't know if that's the case or not, but that's the kind of word that's coming out. But every single player during lockdown should have been monitored. It's not that difficult in this day and age with the technology that we have. So for me, he's as much to blame. I think it's a shocking indictment of himself. Actually making that statement, you're actually saying, I blame myself because I let that happen. And as I said, I'm not absorbed if it's he should have done uh, more than he done. But if you go back to the other incident that happened at the start of last season, the ball and goalie incident, gave the players three or four days off at the start of the season. The biggest season for a long time gives them four days off. I know ball and goalie was an idiot, but if you give idiots opportunities to do stupid things, don't be surprised if they do stupid mm-hmm. things. So that, for me, mismanagement as well. Lee himself shouldn't have been on the BBC the other day. I saw it as well. Again, to me, that's an insane club. Why are they letting players go onto the BBC and talk about things they shouldn't talk about? Because he then has a go at Neil Lennon. And it's a tit for tat. And it doesn't show the club very good light. If you go back in your, in your history, uh, Celtic's greatest ever manager, Jockstein, said his greatest achievement was uh, keeping Jimmy Johnson in the game for as long as he did. That was Jockstein, his own words, keeping him in the game. That's called management. Right, because Jimmy Johnson was a flawed genius on the part he's a genius off the part he's a flawed individual and I'm not saying Lee Griffiths is anywhere near the ability of Jimmy Johnson on the part but off the park he's flawed and he needs help and that needs strong management and it's part of management to maximise the potential of your players Neil Lennon failed and he failed to do that and I know I've said I'm a fully paid up member of the Lee fan club and people say things like, what did he do over the last four years? Well, he was the main man until the previous manager came and then Dembele comes in and does two seats. You can't drop Dembele. Eddie comes in. You can't drop Eddie. And then we go for the nine. And for me, he's the guy that won as the nine. Because in that last three months of that season, he was our best player by a mile. And the last game we were at, he gets a hat trick. So never mind last four years, what was he done? What did he do before COVID? He was our best player in those three months. And if you look at last season, any time he was given a chance, he scored goals. He's the best natural finisher in Scotland. He was Celtic's loss. He was Scotland's loss. Uh, brought him on the cup final, scores a goal, takes the penalty kick. Should have been the Euros. John Kennedy should have played him at the tail end of last season. Brings one against Aberdeen, scores a goal. Uh, Neil Lennon played players who had down tools and ignored Lee Griffiths. I just think he completely mismanaged him uh, last year. And then he goes on TV and slaughters him. I think it's totally unprofessional, uh, totally uncalled for, no need for it at all. The defence rests. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Jim, just to pick up on something you said there, there's an interesting um, point you made there about Jockstein managing a a jinky and, and potentially if if players who are a bit more troubled in that sense or a bit more erratic uh, might have been managed better. It always reminds me of Alex Ferguson always said if he had managed to get Paul Gascoigne to Man United, they might have had a completely different career. And, and part of me definitely believes that because if there's one man that can manage people, it's Alex Ferguson. Now, whether he could have managed somebody of the of the personality type of Paul Gascoigne is, is, is a question for another day. But, um, but it just made me... That, that sprung to mind. Um, Tony... I think what struck me when I watched the comments was 
on the face of it, I didn't entirely disagree with a lot of what Neil Lennon was saying. You know, if he comes back a few stone overweight when other players don't, and if he doesn't seem to have the right attitude, then obviously you've got to pick other players. What I had a problem with, and I say this as somebody who is not on the Neil uh, on the Lee Griffiths train, I, I personally think his time is done with Celtic, and that he probably doesn't hasn't done enough to earn a new contract. But having said that. I was definitely on his side when I saw what Neil Lennon had to say. Some of the disclosures he made on national television or national radio, whatever it was, they were totally out of order. If it was a, if it was in a not another employment situation, you would get, you'd surely get reprimanded in some sense for revealing that kind of information. Well, Neil Lennon just yelled Celtic stuff to Lennon in public. He accused, he accused Lee Griffiths of being unprofessional. And then went out and did the very same thing. You know, as Jim said, he's clearly not signed any non-disclosure agreements. You know, nobody needs to know that Lee Griffiths came back a stone and a half overweight. And as Jim said, what did the club do about that? He's in charge of the club. So there's big faults here, but his comments were totally and utterly out of order. Lee Griffiths had that pop first, but Lee Griffiths kind of left it hanging. Never actually, he, only, he just said, you'd have to ask Neil Lennon those things if I was fit or not, never went in. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. And waded into him. Neil Lennon's committed a character assassination of Lee Griffiths. He also said that they'd set up things during lockdown and Lee Griffiths never turned up once. Does anybody really need to know that? No, I'm not absolving Lee Griffiths of his unprofessionalism. You're a, you're a Celtic footballer on and off the park. You conduct yourself in the manner that's appropriate which is why a lot of people don't want to see him get a new contract. I can understand that. But like Jim, I'm a Griff fanboy as well. And I think, you broom, new slate, this is it. You prove to everybody that you're as fit as you say you are. And you go out and do the job that you're supposed to do and that score goals for Celtic. But Neil, Neil Lennon is bang out of order here. Absolutely. Uh, I can't agree more with what, what Jim said. Mm-hmm. You know, just totally and utterly out of order. And see, for someone... Lockdown affects people in different ways, right? Lee Griffiths is a well-documented mental health problems. At the end of the day, the guy's a footballer, yeah, but he's also a human being, you know, and it affects these, this year, this year and a half, has affected many people in different ways. Just because you're a footballer doesn't exempt you from life, you know? So everybody's fighting a battle daily from the moment they get up, and it affects people in different ways. And I thought Neil Lennon as a Celtic manager and a man who had his own well-publicised and documented uh, mental health problems could empathise a bit more with somebody like Lee Griffiths, who, as Jim said, is probably a guy who needed an arm round him. You know, some people just don't listen. Lee Griffiths might fall into that category, but there are times when players need the arm round them, which is what you said Sir Alex Ferguson wanted to do with Paul Gascoigne. You'll never know if Gascoigne did have turned out differently. But 
there are players in this league that need that. They need that constant reassurance. They need that that constant arm around them to say, "Listen, this is where you're going. Keep you on the straight and narrow." No, mm-hmm. and as I say, I don't absolve Lee Griffiths of being unprofessional. You're a Celtic footballer. I expect the best. You all see me talking about standards, and I want them up there. And if he's let himself down with those standards, then so be it. But he paid the penalty by not playing. But he's also said he was fit to play. And he was Neil Lennon's go-to guy when he got desperate, i.e. the quadruple treble in the cup final, things like that. Mm-hmm. He could he could still do a job. Like Jim, I think he can still do a job. And I think he has to stay because if he's fit, as he says he is, then go and prove it. And the only way he can prove it is by scoring 20 to 25 goals for Ange. But I'm fed up by hearing from Neil Lennon now. You know, yeah. he's tarnishing his legacy day by day by mm-hmm. day. Everything that he says. <clears throat> Time's a great dealer. <clears throat> and in maybe two or three years, if Neil Lennon had came back, he would have got a hero's reception. We see this constant sniping. As Jim said, it wasn't me. I'm looking for skateboards at every, you know. Celtic are entering a new era. You have now left the building. Let us move forward. Stop the sniping. Mm-hmm. Stop the guttural attacks on everybody and anybody and trying to absolve yourself of any blame here. It was a collective. It wasn't Lee Griffiths. It wasn't Oliver and Sham. You know, it was everybody from the top down that were, what they blamed for last season. And you were the manager of Celtic Football Club at that particular time. So a wee mm-hmm. bit of introspection here and, and you no know, navel gazing and a bit of humility. And just from now on in, going to be quiet, please. Pipe down, we've heard you, as I like to say. <laughs> I think also one of the things that you do when you're a manager is to say that did I do everything possible to mm-hmm. avoid that situation? And that's yeah. a question and I think Neil Lennon would have to ask himself, did I do everything possible or did I just sit back and hope things would be okay and let somebody else do these things? Because this was the biggest season and everyone had to be on point this season. Everything had to be done. And obviously it was on, on it was in exceptional circumstances, and even more so you had to be on point. You had to do as much as you possibly can. And I get the impression there was a lot of complacency about we're going to win this, it's okay. And if he's no fit, then somebody else will come in and, and he'll take his place. I think that was the attitude. And the thing I don't understand is that there was so so many games he was on the bench, Lee Griffiths. Mm-hmm. And if you're on the bench, you must be fit. Maybe no match fit but you must be fit. And you only get match fit by playing five or six games. And if you played five or six games, he'd have scored goals for fun last season. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think that was one of the major problems that last season was such a disaster is because we didn't manage him particularly well. I would have won the league because the other team did remarkably well, but we'd have put up a, a better fist of it if he was mm-hmm. managed better. And it just appalls me to see the manager going on TV and slaughtering a player all I had to say was, that's last season, we move on. Talk about, you know, the Euros or Scotland or whatever. As I said, I don't mind them seeing some of the factual stuff because Ian Maxwell was on. And I think that's a whole different debate. Mm-hmm. You know, you could debate that one all day about the inconsistencies about the COVID and how these things are. And I still don't understand it. I think I need a flow chart to understand how these things work. But I'd like to understand how the COVID thing worked. As soon as he was asked about legal issues, I said, you know, that's kind of old. We move on. You know, and from there, just to, as you say, Lord, just to get really stuck into it, mm-hmm. like he was enjoying it, you know. And then yeah. he did this, he did that, and you know, and just keep quiet, just keep quiet, and move on. PGR, 
starting to tarnish your reputation. As a player, Neil Lennon legend, no question. As a manager, a mixed bag. And But with every utterance, it's starting to tarnish it more. And as Tony says, can we just move on from Neil Lennon and just stop talking and get behind the big man? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think what you said there was um, was the thing that shocked me was, you know, he was asked a, a very vague question by the reporter about how was the situation he was talking about with another player comparable to the Lee Griffiths situation. There's a very easy way to avoid that question and avoid going into the detail that yeah. he did. But he went in in such depth and such detail that he did almost seem like he was thinking as he was talking this is my opportunity to get a few things off my chest and that's not yep. that's not the situation to do it in but thank you everybody for commenting on um, Facebook, YouTube and Twitter where we're watching Glasgow Rebel um, says Lennon accused players of being unprofessional while being unprofessional himself as we've said um, and as Jim just said there Brown Warrior agrees he was fit enough to be on the bench so why was he not deemed fit enough to play in other situations that's that's also true David Kelly makes a point on YouTube as well um, any other employment situation Griffiths would have been fired more than once I I mean I'm no fan of Lee Griffiths I think he's had enough opportunities I'm not sure that I agree he would have been fired in that employment situation employment nowadays I mean Natasha is obviously better place to, to speak on these things than any of us but you know, in these situations, you have to give people support. They are human beings at the end of the day. They aren't just footballers. There's a difference between giving them support while they remain at the club and uh, deciding whether or not to offer them a new contract. And that's where I think the, the conversation comes in. But, um, but yeah, also no, I'm, not, also I'm not sure I agree with that. But sorry, Jim, on you go. She used to say that you could apply the same logic to Jimmy Johnson, right? Mm-hmm. Sack him then. Just, just, just sack him. Or do you go that extra mile to try and keep him? Because if you go the extra mile and try and keep him, it will pay dividends for you. So I mm-hmm. get the whole bit of it. He's, he's done some... And I said, as I said earlier, I'm not absolving Lee Griffiths or anything. He's been an idiot. He knows that himself. I saw the pictures of him at the Chew game. And I think the pennies dropped now. He's sitting in the crowd watching the game. He should be on the park. I think the pennies dropped. And that's why he's getting stuck in and working hard now. But football's different from any other business. You mentioned Paul Gascoigne earlier. You would do anything to get Paul Gascoigne in your team, no matter what he does. And he does it. Some of the stuff Gascoigne did, you know, makes me look like a saint. Mm. You know, so but you would do everything you possibly can to keep your best players on that park doing the business with you, and none more so when a season where you're looking to make history. You know, mm-hmm. and and that's my concern because I think there was too many players or backroom staff or the board that didn't do enough last season to secure it. Didn't do mm-hmm. enough. Complacent. And I, I know we're going to talk about... No, 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 no. Do the club have duty of care when Lee Griffiths turned up a stone and a half overweight? He's to go on a strict training regime. You bring him back into to line with the rest and then made and, and got his fitness up. You know, the, the club had to, yeah. who, who Who saw him at that weight and thought, right, you're, you're no use. You know, you're a footballer, you're a professional. You have standards on and off the park and training mm. off the park is something you should dedicate. You know, you dedicate yourself to your craft. So people at the club, including the manager, says, right, wait a minute, you're going on some strict regime here, some strict programme till you get until you're toe in line with the rest of them and you get up to speed. But that clearly didn't happen. You know, he was allowed to just, I don't know, mm. drift away from the scene and, and do his own thing. Again, bad management and people not doing their job as well. You know, and as I say, I'm not absolving Lee Griffiths of any lack of professionalism because I think that's scandalous. 
mm-hmm. especially when you're at a public Celtic and you have an opportunity like that. But as you see, you can't just turn around and say, oh, well, you're no loser. You know, as Jim said, Jimmy Johnson would, have, would never have achieved anything in his career if that was the case. Mm. You know, these guys are footballers with a specific talent. You've got a duty to nurture that as well and be watchful and mindful of other things that are affecting them outside of football, as I say, with the mental health issues. And I thought a manager who, who shared similar experience would be able to pick up on that and be a bit more empathetic in Lee Griffith's case. Uh, I, I think I also in football yeah. you have to be. I think also in football you have to be mentally tough. Ninety percent of it's mental. So yeah. maybe Lee Griffiths isn't the most mentally tough person because a couple of weeks ago we talked about John Kennedy and I was saying he, I thought he was a mentally tough individual. You wouldn't see John Kennedy doing what Lee Griffiths did. So if you're not a mentally tough individual, then you have to compensate for that in some way, shape, or form. And I'm not so sure that we did do that. And that's what the feelings lie for me. Not absolving Lee Griffiths at all. But as Tony said there, the COVID hits people in different ways. And I know I'm not a top-class footballer, even though I've played football three times this week. Over, over COVID the last 15 months, I've been dead lazy sitting about putting on weight. I know I'm not an athlete, but it's an easy thing to get into and it affects people in different ways. Not absolving Lee Griffiths at all, but Neil Lennon, shocking, shocking comments. Hmm. I think I think that's the top and bottom of it, and I think hopefully, like like we said before, you know, the only reason we're bringing up Neil Lennon now a days is if he happens to open his mouth and say something about Celtic. We're very rarely doing it in any other circumstance, so hopefully, uh, we don't hear too much more from him on that front, and we can go into talking about um about going forward, which we are going to do. Um, Tony, the the pictures. Uh, the pictures were published yesterday of um, Ange Postacoglu taking his first training session. I uh, saw a lot of people with a lot of comments to make. He was like a, a Celtic da. He was giving off strong Tony Soprano vibes, all that kind of stuff. I've got to say, like, regardless of all the the questions we have about his um about his ability, regardless of all the the worries we have about the squad, there was something uplifting about seeing a new manager in his post doing his job. Do you not think? Oh, wonderful to see him finally here and, and getting on with the job at hand. You know, uh, and yeah, there's been negativity towards him, but I don't think any anybody wishes him ill. Mm. The negativity came from the fact that he, he maybe wasn't people's immediate first choice as a manager, right? We've covered mm. that, but we're all behind him now. Nobody wants him to succeed more than the Celtic support. You know, this guy's got the opportunity of a lifetime, mm-hmm. and he seems to be embracing it. He's said a, a couple of nice things today and he's going on YouTube at one o'clock and everybody will get a wee bit of a, a better handle on him and a, a better grip of what he's about and, and good luck to him and that, you know, but to see him there in the tracksuit and he, you know, he looks happy to be there and this is what they get paid to do now. This is, as Jim was talking about there with Neil Lennon, this is him now, this, you know, the, the, the phony war of words is over. He's now the Celtic manager. He's in situ, he's in play, mm-hmm. he's at Lennox Town, he's dealing with players. He now sees what he has at his disposal. He's got 26 days or whatever it is to get a team ready for Michelin in the, in the Champions League qualifier, which we've spoken on this pod already. We've exempted him from. If he does anything regarding the Champions League group stages with Celtic, I've said he, he'll be a miracle worker, you know, but I I think he, he just has to focus on a, getting a solid start to the domestic campaign. Mm-hmm. It's not a kind of free hit at Europe. We take what we get in Europe as far as 
as far as that goes, you know. So nobody's expecting too much. But there's an expectancy that from the get-go and from the Hearts game that Celtic will be mounting a challenge at the top from day one. And he'll know that. And he'll know that pressure. And we'll, we'll see how he copes with that pressure. But it's fantastic to see him in the kit, you know. And people can say, and I, I, I like to think that that was some nice humour about that, you know, that the Celtic die and he looked like a guy who'd been giving it for a Father's Day gift and all that. that, that there's, there's some humour behind that. It's it's not a dig, mm. you know, because Anne's Postacoglu is the Celtic manager. We embrace it. We welcome him. And we just hope that he is the right man to, to take the club forward and, and uh, lead us to success. Yeah, I think there was a I think there was a lot of affection behind that kind of stuff and the idea that, you know, he's almost like any one of us in that job, you know. They are willing to do it, enthusiastic to do it, proud to be wearing the club colours and hopefully will take us forward. Jim, we we talked a little bit about before the programme about, you know, the free hit at Europe and, and potentially not knowing whether we're gonna do anything uh, in Europe, but as Tony says, a strong start for Postacoglu is beyond question. He's got to put Rangers under pressure from the off, hasn't he? I think it's Tony said that if he does anything in Europe, it'd be absolutely astonishing. Uh, mm-hmm. There's that mad Tory woman who wants to get a portrait of the Queen of everyone's house. We should do that for Ange. If we get in the Champions League, we have a campaign, get a portrait of Ange in the UK, the world, because Ange is the man. We love him. I like him. I like the cut of his jib. Uh, he talks the talk. He certainly talks the talk. I mean, uh, I've seen all the videos as well. And I love his leadership talk. You know, and mm-hmm. talking the talk and walking the walk are kind of two different things. But his leadership talk, I loved it when he said, if it ain't broken, don't fix it, is the slogan of the complacent and the arrogant and the scared. It sounds like Tony Haggerty saying that one. Right? <laughs> and to me, he just he just summed up I like that. the Celtic chief executive. He summed up the Celtic chief executive and the Celtic board since 2012 with the the exception of Rogers coming in, complacent, arrogant, and scared. And talk to talk, and he, and, he, and he came across really, really well. Another video I watched, the, the Age of Ange, which I think everyone has seen. There was one comment a guy made. He said, uh, uh, the time of football that Ange had the team playing was music to my eyes. And you're thinking, <laughs> that's what we need. We need music to my eyes, as opposed to a sight for sore ears. We don't want a sight for sore ears, and we want music to our eyes. As you said, he looks the part. Uh, he's the new manager. Let's get behind him. Uh, yeah. Let's make a good start. I think that I think by half time in the Mitchelland game, reality bites for me. And I think we've been looking at, you know, we haven't got the players and who we're going to sign and all this kind of stuff. I think after that 45 minutes, reality will bite and we'll have some sort of sense where. We're all over the place and we're losing 4 nothing, or we're putting a good performance and we've got some cause for optimism. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as Tony said there, Europe doesn't really matter, although it should matter. And I'm sure lots of people in the comments will say, of course it matters. But we will never blame Ange. It's not his fault. Go to Tynecastle, put in a good performance, put three points on the board, score a few goals, as Ange likes to do, and we take it from there. And get out of Ibrox with a point and be joint top of the league, and then we move on from there. That's my that's my hope for the start of the season. Yeah, yeah that's, I, that's yeah, music that's in my good. eyes, Jim. <laughs> Is that good? <laughs> Glad you could see it. You speak in my language. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. So before I come to you, Tony, on, on another point, I wanted to discuss um, for anybody who wasn't aware, um, Celtic are actually going live at one o'clock, so around about now, with the new manager and Don McKay. We've got Natasha uh, there covering it for Axom. So um, if you want to stick with us, we will bring you any live updates. Paul is in the background, and we'll be able to put anything up on the screen that is of, of relevance that he says. Um, but in the meantime, uh, I wanted to discuss, Tony, about... I've seen a lot of people say that uh, they've seen Gavin Strachan and uh, John Kennedy in the pictures for the training. And the suggestion is that they are going to remain at the club and a lot of the backroom staff are going to remain at the club. I've seen a lot of people suggest that that means that Andrew's definitely a yes man. Now, to me... I don't think it necessarily means that. If he can come in and have a, a strong enough effect, then surely he can get them working the way he wants them to work. But what do you make of the accusations that, you know, he's a yes man just because he's coming in without the majority of his own staff? I think it's a bit incredulous to call him a yes man, isn't it? Yeah. You know, who are the two people that know these players more than MD? John yeah. Kennedy and Robert Strachan, right? He needs a sounding board. He needs, he needs something put in front of him and we say, right, this is where we're at, where we're at. You know, pros and cons of every player. Gavin Strachan and John Kennedy's presided over one of the, the worst seasons in the club's history. You know, so there'll be there's a a wealth of knowledge there, right? Which Ange Postacov will, will need for a start. So they're they allies for the time being as he walks in the building, because he needs to be brought up to speed mm. pretty fast, right? Now Moving forward, I'd like to think Anne should bring in his own backroom staff because he's done it at every club that he's been at. Mm. Am I right? He's brought in other people. As far as I'm aware, yeah. And I'd like to think he's maybe had that conversation with Dominic Mackay to say, look, these guys are important to me because I need to know what went wrong, what happened last season, and I need to know a background on every player that we have at the club. Mm -hmm. So for that reason, then it makes sense for him to bounce off those two for the time being. But I'd like to think moving forward that he would prove that he's not... I mean, I hate this word, yes, man. It's like that phrase, lost addressing him and all that, you know. People mm. just throw in these stock phrases and don't actually know and can't back it up with any concrete evidence. So, yes, man's a bit... I think it's a bit disrespectful, to be honest. You know, the guy's just walking in the door, he's assessing everything, and if he needs more backroom staff I'm sure he won't be shy in asking but as Jim said he, he likes to cut up his jib he comes across as a pretty straight shooter you know what I mean mm-hmm. so I think if he wants backroom staff or more backroom staff he'll get it because I don't think he'll be content with John Kennedy and Gavin Strachan but I think at the, this moment in time they're serving a pretty you know, important function and filling them in in all aspects of the club and then to quote Jim we can move on Mm. and then see what other building blocks or parts of the jigsaw Ange wants to bring in. I I 100% agree. Um, Just before I come back to Jim, Monty on YouTube says, Afternoon Axel, I'm sorry to have missed the last few days. Started a new job that keeps me off my mobile. Ha ha. I know I was missed. You were missed, Monty. Don't don't believe for a second that you weren't. We are glad to have you back. So thank you for tuning in and watching. We appreciate not everybody can be here every day, but everybody that tunes in and views uh, the pod whenever they can is much appreciated and your contributions are appreciated as well. Um, Jim, we, we've seen a lot of talk over the last few days starting to emerge about players that are linked to the club. I've seen them... Um, 
Kevin Nisbet being linked with uh, from Hibs, Matt Ryan, who we've discussed already, the, the Brighton and Arsenal goalkeeper who who Ange has worked with before. Do you think that um, we'll manage to get enough new players in, given how decimated the squad appears to be from from you know the number of players that have left in, over the summer? Therein lies the Pepsi challenge, I think, and that's mm. why I think we'll be letting players go. You, you can't let players go. And the same, you know, that question you asked Tony there, people seem to get rid of Kennedy, rid of Strachan, get rid of everyone, and Ange walks through the door on his own. You have to be realistic and yeah. pragmatic about these things. Whether you like John Kennedy, Gavin Strachan, doesn't matter. He needs bodies in the building. He needs to get through the first few months, and after that, he can then put his own standpoint on things. Them players... Again, we've got no idea what's going on in the background. Andrew is self-isolating. What is he doing? Is he sitting looking at a database of players, watching videos or whatever it is? Terribly complex to get people in pretty quickly. Uh, we've left it this late. Uh, and that's why I think it'll be interesting to see where we are at halftime in the Michelin game. Who's actually playing? Um, we had this one that Jack Henry's definitely off. Mm-hmm. Now, whether people liked him or not, it'd have been good to have him available just to play in that game. If he goes a few weeks later, then fair enough. Uh, so the more bodies we get in, the better. Uh, I'm just a bit concerned. I haven't felt like this, I think, since Lou McCarry got appointed in 93. Uh, mm. We went from this total domination to being underdogs, you know, in a few months. And I'm still struggling to understand how that managed to happen. And the squad isn't that clever. And the signings I think we're going to meet are not going to be. I mean, you've seen all this rubbish on Twitter about this guy for 10 million, this guy for. That's not going to happen. I, I can't see that happening. I don't think we have the money to spend, you know, those kind of uh, transfer fees and wages on those kind of players. And I don't think maybe that's Ange's style either. I think he wants young, hungry players, you know, who will die for him and all that all that kind of stuff. So I think from a personal point of view, I haven't seen enough of Nisbet to see whether he's good, bad or indifferent. I see him linked with Aaron Hickey again. Mm-hmm. And this is purely a personal point of view. I thought when we played Hearts in the Cup final, uh, Hickey was outstanding absolutely outstanding and I can't remember which year that was because I'm losing track of years these days but I watched him the next season and every time I saw him he did nothing mm-hmm. against us he did nothing against our main rivals he did nothing and I didn't and I don't I don't see it and that's a personal point of view I may be totally wrong I don't see the big attraction in Hickey I'd rather go for more experience left back I'd rather go for the experience all throughout the team mm-hmm. I'd rather we bring in Two experienced centre-backs. And one of the things we're watching the Euros in countries like Hungary, Denmark, Austria, you know, there must be players out there, experienced guys who played the Champions League or played in the Europa League or played for their countries, you know, 30, 40 internationals, guys that know what they're doing. Mm. Because another thing, and we may go into the Euros after, I think, see, technically and tactically, we are miles off it in this country, mm-hmm. miles off it. And I think we need guys coming in. And Aaron Hickey, to me, is not the answer. Nisbet's not the answer. That's me. I think that's a lazy one, again. Because basically we pay, I think we pay people a lot of money to get out and find players. I could have told you about Nisbet. I could have told mm. you about Hickey. Right? So if I can do it, I think that's lazy for me. We must have a scouting network that, that can be able to pick up good, solid guys, experienced guys that can do a job. Nothing flash. You save your flash money for the guys up front. That's what you. That's what we need, guys. If you can organise a team and organise a defence, and that's my concern about Ange. After speaking to our pal Dan in Japan the other week, 
about, you know, don't worry about Angie's defending. We are worried. Very worried. So I think it's important. We need guys in to defend, get them organised. We don't lose silly goals. We get a bit of quality up front. Who are those players? I have no idea. But I think it's lazy when we talk about local players like Doig and, and Nisbet and people like that. You know, Doig's a young guy. Just a young guy. It's a big step up to Celtic. Nisbet's a young guy. Big step up to Celtic. Four million and three million, seven million pound plus wages, etc. I know I'm speaking like an accountant, like I am. But when you, when you when you spend big money on players, it's such a huge investment. And I'm all about value for money. You can pick up players for nothing. You know, if you've got a good scouting network, you don't have to pay silly wages. I know I've been slagged on here before, but see, I wouldn't pay players more than 10 grand a week. Not in, not in the Scottish League. Because the competition in this league are paying their players, what, £500 a week, £1,000 a week. And we're jumping in there with 15, 20, 25 grand. Mm. So for me, that, that, that doesn't work. And it's an indictment again. If we're going out and spending silly money on players, it's an indictment on our youth system and on our scouting network that we can't pick up better value for money. I know that's, I know a lot of people don't agree with that view. But that's my opinion on things. I think we should have that network there. And one assumes that Big Ange has been sitting for the past few weeks scouring the world online, watching videos, uh, getting scout reports from people. I hope that's happened. I hope he's not saying, well, that guy, Hickey, sounds good. Let's just go for him. You know, so we'll see what happens. I think it highlights the lack of a scouting network, really, to be honest. I don't think so. I don't think there is yeah. one itself. I think it's non-existent because... I said before, many times have I said in this pod, I'll do it. I'll watch friggin' leagues, <laughs> La Liga, and then watch these teams from third to eighth, you know, that are not Champions League material, but maybe Europa League and all these clubs and, and give you a list, the length of your arm of defenders or for any position you want to say, I'll watch your leagues, your Germans, your Hungarian leagues, any league, right? Because as you say, Jim, it's no hard, Right? And you've got all sorts of tools like Scout and all that that you can log into and check out data and statistics that can back up things which would get you, as you say, Jim, your value for money, right? It is lazy to just say he's a good player, you know, like Aaron Hickey or Doig, you know. It's, it's talking about Aaron Hickey for three and a half million quid. Do yourself a favour. You're having a laugh. You know what I mean? You are having a laugh. You see, you keep your big money for strikers, because they're the ones that earn you the big money. Your shots at the £40 million Champions League bounty, stuff like that. But, I mean, where is Celtic Scouting Network? We, they've produced Bobo Baldi from Toulouse. I keep going back to things like that. They produced Mialbe from Ike Stockholm. You know, uh, Volharen came from Belgian football. I think Martin O'Neill saw him playing at, the, at one of the Euros. Euros. You know, wasn't playing for a fashionable team. Right, that's called scouting. That's called having an eye for a player. I mean, Otmar Hitzfeld had the, one of the best scouting talents ever when he watched Paul Lambert play against Borussia Dortmund for Motherwell and then years later turned him into a Champions League winner because he thought he could play alongside the likes of Matty Zammer and uh, all the Moller and all those kind of players. You know? So you turn around and say to me, where are these people at Celtic who are scouting good players affordable players, the value for money players. You see, if they're not watching DVDs till they're sick, they should be, because our club's facing a major rebuild. And you see, Jim, that could come at a cost. But 
he, he wanted to come at a realistic and a reasonable and a pragmatic cost. So where are who's doing this at Celtic? Who's making these decisions? Who's the guy that's telling you that Charlie White's the guy to come in and score twenty five goals a season from Sunderland? He might be, but again, I, I don't know too much about Charlie White. And I, I was on Monday and I was saying Kevin Phillips said he would be no more than a squad player or a bit part player. This is a striker you're signing for Celtic. You want him to walk in and make an instant impression and score goals. No an impact mm-hmm. sub, you know what I mean? So a total lack of a scouting network or, or being able to source players, that's what I can't get my head around. And as you said, Jim, from going from that position of strength where everything under Rogers was tip-top, all right, he brought in some players that were questionable, but at least everything seemed to, everyone seemed to be, as Russell says, singing from the same spreadsheet. But it's certainly not. It's totally and utterly disjointed. The thinking at Celtic. I think as well, um, I, I have this conversation a lot with my brother when we sit and watch things like the Euros and, and the World Cup. Our biggest frustration is sitting there watching players and going, who does he play for? Why can't we sign him? Two that, two that I think of that come to mind is uh, Spinazzola, the, the fullback at Italy, and Denzel Dumfries, the other fullback at Holland. Now, they're either both now playing for big clubs or if they're not already I think I think Spinazzola is playing for Roma and uh, Dumfries is playing for PSV the problem with using a tournament like that is you see these players and it's already too late because if they've not signed for a big club then they will off the back of the tournament my point is Spinazzola for example started his career uh, with um, Juventus in 2012 but throughout that time Never actually played any more than 10 games for Juventus. He was at clubs like Empoli, uh, Siena, Atlanta, Vicenza, Perugia. Could we not have signed him at any point in that period of time? And he's a fantastic footballer. Laura, that's my point. Celtic should be scouting these teams. Mm -hmm. Leave Juventus and the Milans out of the equation, right? Yeah. Empoli, Udinese, Sampdoria, Torino's. Mm -hmm. You know players from these kind of clubs in every European league, right? Yeah. You know, you out with the title chasers, you go just below that, because they're the ones that will cost millions of pounds which Celtic can't afford. But below that, the ones that are ducking under the radar but doing well, you try to tell me that Celtic couldn't have seen any, any players from Atlanta before yeah. they started hitting the big time. You see, if your scouting network's fine, you would know that. These are the dots that you would connect you know, you do that in every league, the Dutch league, the French league, the Spanish league, the Hungarian league, Swedish league, whatever league you choose, you set somebody aside and you say, watch these teams, give me a list of players. Mm-hmm. Or as I say, persons of interest, you know, because you can't sign every one of them, but you can track a lot of players and say, right, and then to the point where you think this guy could do a job. Mm-hmm. And, and if you're going to spend three and a half million, you're buying a tried and tested product. Jim said somebody who's got maybe Champions League experience or certainly Europa League experience and that experienced and can do the job, right? Yeah, I think Denzel Dumfries, just to bring up my other example, he played for Sparta Rotterdam and Heerenveen until 2018. He's only played for PSV since 2018. We could have got him before. I mean, this is all revisionism and whatever, but my point is... Like like you've both said, the players are out there. If you had the scouting network and looked at the right teams, they're there. 
How many times Sorry, have we played a European team? Sorry, how many times have we played a European team from an unfashionable league, Norway, Denmark, whatever it is, and our two centre-backs are brilliant? Right? Mm-hmm. And they'll be earning buttons compared to what we could pay. Just go and buy those two centre-halves. And you've then got a team, maybe by the back four, but maybe by the goalkeeper as well. You know, just, just as you said, there's players out there. Also, we have to have a better vision of things. Too many players on loan last season. And the point Tony made there is about, you know, you're going to these big clubs. So if you're a lax out, what's your, what's your motivation coming to play for Celtic last year? What's your motivation? The 10 doesn't mean anything to you. He doesn't understand the circumstances of the thing. He's on big money. He's not that bothered. I'm not saying he, he didn't play particularly well. I'm just concerned. What's your motivation for coming to Celtic from AC Milan on mm-hmm. loan for a year? What's the point in that? And with too many players like that, and we make the obvious signings and play to, pay too much money, I think, for those signings and put them on too high a wages for me. And you've invested all that money. And I know we maybe get on to talk about some of the existing players, but if you take Albin Ayeti, I can't imagine he's on any less than 20 grand a week if he's coming from West Ham. Mm-hmm. Million pound a year, four year contract, four million pound, transfer fee five and a half, nine and a half. The guts of 10 million pound. 10 million pound equals Albin Ayeti. What a shocking waste of money. And it's our money. Celtic season take all this money. And the much maligned Fergus, that's what he always said. I'm just holding on to the fans' money here. I need to be careful what I spend. So when the three amigos turned up at his door and wanted more money, he chased them. Because <laughs> he says, I'm looking after the fans' money here. And we have to be so, so careful. If we're going to spend big money, the guts of 10 million equals Albion Ayeti. I mean, how, how, how bad does that look? You know, So we can't keep doing that. Because we just had COVID and the money that we had is, you know, is, is, is fast disappearing. We have to be clever. To be clever, we need people in the building who are clever. And the point Tony made is, are there any people in the building? Is the building empty? Who knows? <coughs> Do you know the only time I think we had a, a decent uh, scouting system in the last 15 years to speak of was, I can't remember the guy's name, but there was a guy who was the figurehead of it. Um, and he was in place when Neil Lennon was manager the first time round. Um, yes. Uh, and we had players like Wanyama coming in. We had players like Van Dyke. We had players like, you know, there are success stories of players coming from relatively obscure clubs, mm-hmm. making it at Celtic and going for big money after giving us three or four years of service. And I think that's the way we have to go going forward. If we can get a... If we can get a good scouting system in and get something organised in that sense, like you say, rather than not really knowing who's signing um, that the West Ham youngster and who's signing the youngster from, from Scunthorpe and who's signing all these players, get a system in place rather than just picking people either from total obscurity that are never going to be part of the, the rebuild at Celtic um, or people who were are too obvious and were paying over, over the top for. Um, you want to ask the question of John Park what he's doing right now I don't know don't you know, know when you can identify a player you can identify a player you, you don't mm-hmm. lose that ability overnight so has anyone asked John Park that question would he consider coming back and reprising his role and and helping to get, get Celtic back to what they used to do when he was there bringing in Van Yamas and Van Dykes and selling them on for huge profit, as you say, after a few years' service. I mean, uh, Wanyama came from, was it Beershot in Belgium, was it? 
something like that, yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. so, yeah. yeah, for 800 grand, something like that. Mm-hmm. And then we sold for what? Yep. 12 million quid? Yep. To Tottenham? Yep. So, I mean, and he was a, he was a powerhouse, you know, and so that's scouting. Yep. That's doing your job. That's yeah. identifying a guy and saying, oof, he could, he could do a job here. He would boss it up here. And yeah. a colossal figure for Celtic. Van Dyke. Van, Van Dyke. Van Dyke came from FC Groningen, who I have to say I've seen in the flesh and are nothing to, to write home about. But they've had a couple of big players over the years. They've had Hakim Ziyech, who now plays for um, Chelsea, who went to Ajax. They've had Luis Suarez, who we all know who he is, uh, Van Dyke. So. These clubs can be the, the breeding ground yeah. for these players and the thing that we provide them at Celtic is a platform to a, to a yeah. bigger... To take a, a bigger... Yeah. 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 You know, but that's called doing... That's that's called scouting. I mean, that's yeah. called doing it right and doing it properly. You know, John Park and whoever he had round about him, that team, which I'm alluded to there, who's in the building? But John Park had that team around him and they identified these kind of players and knew in the long run that Celtic would benefit financially but they would benefit from these guys being the real deal and then leaving with your blessing because mm-hmm. it's, it's progression that's what we need to get back to that's what needs to happen now under Ange and hopefully that can happen I think so um, just to close out the show um, Jim I'll come to you on this first um, a, a real positive note um, that I saw was uh, Dominic Mackay getting his picture taken with some kids who've been involved in the Kano Foundation. Everybody watching will know who the Kano Foundation is, but they provide uh, match-going opportunities for, for children from less fortunate backgrounds. And uh, he announced today that on behalf of the club, he wanted to announce that they have provided the Kano Foundation with 150 season tickets to be used by the charity. Um, Jim, we've criticised the club and, and, and a lot over this past year, and rightly so. But on this occasion, surely you have to say if there's anything that, that speaks of the values of Celtic Football Club, it's something like this. It's not difficult. See this stuff, it's not difficult. See, you, you, know, you can do lots of wee things. Lots mm-hmm. of wee things become a big thing. And the, the Celtic Trust are collecting vouchers. They're, they're collecting £50 vouchers from the season holders, you know, to, to do something similar to give to, to less fortunate. Uh, uh, and and these things aren't that difficult to do. And, and, and we've talked about Dom Mackay, fan engagement. He's a big fan of that. What I would like to see, and I know you were looking for questions to ask Dom, Dom Mackay, is that like a better understanding of what's actually happening at Celtic? Nothing too confidential, but I mean, we've just been talking here about transfers and scouting systems and all this stuff. And to be honest, we haven't a clue how it works. Mm-hmm. We haven't a clue how that system works. I don't think it would be betraying any confidentiality to actually tell us how that works and tell us what what the actual people in the backroom staff actually do. Not so we can blame them, although we will, but, you know, this this kind of uh, feeding frenzy on uh, the laptop man, get him out, he's terrible, blah, blah, blah. Nobody actually knows what Gavin Strachan does. Mm. And a few weeks ago, I I defended Gavin Strachan because he was one of the few guys that came out as doing a good job. So I would like to know what, what, what he does, you know, just to understand it, because as I've said many, many times, I've been going to watch football for over 50 years and I still have not a clue about 90% of it, of what goes on behind the scenes. Mm. All I see is what's on in the park. You know, so how do you sign a player? How does all that stuff? Who are the people behind the scenes at Celtic Park? What do they actually do? Who does what? If you're going to sign a player, 
how does it actually work? I don't want any secrets coming out, but I just like to under, understand things a wee bit better. But to get back to the question that you asked, the Kano Foundation, there is loads and loads and loads of things that Celtic can do. They've got loads of goodwill within the Celtic fans. You know, I think there'd be loads of Celtic fans we want to volunteer to do things for the foundation. Yeah, just ask them. They're there. And there's tons and tons of stuff that you can do. And that will help to build up the good name of Celtic. Mm. And what gets to me, and I know I've been boring and said it before, but the whole kind of one club since 1888 stuff, I don't like that stuff at all. You know, giving vouchers to the to the Kano Fair, giving season tickets to the Kano, that's great. More of that and less of the one club since 1888 stuff. And that's coming from one person since 1959. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tony, I, I think I think the positivity that that we have to lavish on this is obvious you know we, we've spent so long hearing them come out with these slogans about one club since 1888 and a club open to all and, and all that kind of thing and not really exhibiting things that back up those statements this backs up that statement and surely keeps what people like to think are the Celtic values alive does it not? Yes, just not slogans we want yeah mm. you know you you Yep. you build up the goodwill that way and it isn't hard you know you you, you get an enormous sense of satisfaction and well-being from it if you do something good or something mm-hmm. worthwhile you know Jim was talking about going into the you know the memories thing last week with the guys with the cards and stuff like that and you know it probably means a lot to Jim you know I volunteer at a homeless shelter on a Tuesday uh, every night or I did up until COVID kicked in and you know and it, you just sort of put something back in but uh, yeah it's uh, the most humbling thing ever you know and I think Celtic as a club has humble origins and these these gestures don't go unnoticed and they're the ones as Jim said that the smallest things mean the biggest things to the people that are the recipients mm. so and and if you do more of that people get on board with it then you do you the, the your empty gestures and words about these slogans mean nothing. Just more action on those kind of things because it does mean the most to people. It means everything. So with the Cano Foundation, I, I can only applaud that. But that has to be the start of something more moving forward as well. Got to do more of that and get everybody back on side and get people in touch with the club again. Build those relationships. Yeah, I think we're all in agreement with that. If we can, uh, we almost, if we can do, Laura, do more things like that. Laura, Jim, on you go. We almost finished a podcast without Tony Haggard to make agree. We were so close. <laughs> we were so, so close. So close. <laughs> and you pulled us back in, Tony. And you made us all greet again. You failed the test. I do not like the cut of your jib anymore. You failed the test. It's not my emotive. I did read a comment on uh, YouTube that did make me giggle. Uh, it said, uh, Tony seems like the kind of guy who would cry if he cracked an egg without breaking the yolk, which I, <laughs> which I find quite funny. I quite enjoyed that one. So, um, But anyway, yes, well, ending on a positive, if if not quite as emotional note as previously, um, uh, and, and we'll, we'll close it out there. Just a couple of quotes that I wanted to read out from the new manager and that are coming through live from the press conference. So the first one that he said uh, was, um, 
If I didn't want pressure, I would probably be at a different occupation. I'm here because it's where I want to be and it's where I want to coach. And the last thing he said, which really excites me, is I want my team to play football everyone talks about. If we do that, we'll be on our way to success. So it remains to be seen whether he's a man who, who, you know, puts his money where his mouth is and delivers on that front. But we can only wait and see. Tony, Jim, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, everybody, for watching. That's been a Celtic State of Mind, and we will see you again very soon. Marketers Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct-to-Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Social Podcast Network. Sports 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 Social Podcast Network.